Welcome to Pastor's Class as we take another week to look at these respectable sins. It's our class as we walk through this is uh, using Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, as our guide. If you've not read Bridges before, I would commend uh, all kinds of books he's written. He's one of my favorite authors from Pursuit of Holiness to Discipline of Grace to Trusting God to so many things he's written out there that are wonderful and encouraging to the Christian believer. And so if you've not read him before, even if you've, if you've enjoyed this book, I would encourage you to pick up any number of uh, other books that he's written uh, and walk through those. Uh, as we look tonight, we're going to be looking at uh, the sin of the sins of pride and uh, selfishness. And like we mentioned, even as we started with ungodliness, ungodliness serves almost like the roots, but pride really is a base sin that leads to a lot of other sins. A lot of people would, would take pride and make it at the core of all sin, uh, but really un, under pride, Bridges would say ungodliness rests under that. But pride is a, a central sin that we commit, and it's particularly dangerous for a, a variety of reasons. Uh, one, of, one of them is because it, it, it kind of blinds you to itself. It's a self-perpetuating sin. So as you commit pride, um, it causes its own self for you to not be able to see it. So a prideful person, because they're prideful, doesn't actually see their own pride. And so that's what's so dangerous about it, is that it self-perpetuates in the life of a believer. And that's why it's somewhat of a respectable sin. It's one in which we do with giving very little thought. It becomes pedestrian or common in our lives. And so that's why we look at something like uh, uh, pride and selfishness as a respectable sin. We're, we're blind to it. It's also a sin that, you know, it's, even as you try to teach a topic like this, myself as I approach it, or even as Bridges writes in the book, it's, it's a bit difficult to teach on pride without being prideful as you do it. That somehow I'm the guru on pride and I'm going to teach you about your pride. In a sense, the minute you pick it up, you're bound to be even prideful in the way you approach it. It's like when you go to the restaurant and there's a pack of crackers on the table. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I'll un unpack the crackers and there'll be that, that plastic wrap around it and it sticks to your fingers, the static. And so you get it on one hand and then you grab it with the other hand and what does it do? It just goes right to sticking it with the other hand and you're sitting there trying to get it off your fingers and your hand. And so it's the same way with us is that pride, you're looking at it and thinking, that person has pride, let me jump in there and help them. Well, as you jump in, all of a sudden before you know it, you have pride. And so one of the, the challenges, even as I'll openly admit before we begin, is I'm sure there's some form of pride in my heart, even as we approach this. But as one preacher said, I've heard him say before, uh, that if you were to only preach your own holiness, that would be a pretty low bar uh, to be uh, preaching. And so we're going to all preach to the level of holiness of Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about, uh, being a person who's, who's not filled with pride and being someone who is unselfish in our lives. Now, how do you know that you're a prideful person? So we'll start there, and then we're going to look at some sins of pride. One, one of the... Um, uh, the, the people that's helped me process pride over the years is a man named C.S. Lewis. And uh, when he wrote Mere Christianity, he wrote a chapter called The Great Sin. And, and it always has helped me understand pride. And, and in that chapter, he talks about how you might be a person who could understand uh, when you're prideful. 
He says, how do you know you have it? He says, in face, if you, if you want to find out how prideful you are, the easiest way to, is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me? or uh, shove their oar in was his phrase. That means to criticize you or patronize me or show off. So anytime somebody does something like that, how do you respond? He says, the point is this, each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. He goes on to say, pride is competitive by nature. It is the comparison that you make, uh, the comparison that you're making that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. And so as you compare yourself to others, you want to be above the rest. And as that begins to happen, you are prideful. And so then when you run across a person who is prideful, it really gets under your skin. And so one of the uh, kind of telling ways is to see just how prideful of a person you are, C.S. Lewis would say, is when you're around somebody that's prideful, how much does it bother you? Because your competitive pride will come up against uh, theirs. And that's where he, he says, I think very helpful, that's why pride and God do not go together. Because in God, you find a competitor that wins in every category of comparison. So every time you start to compare yourself with God, you always, as the Bible says, fall short of God. And so when that happens, there is no room for pride. So, so he would say that uh, a person who has pride, there's no way for you to know God. Th this is, um, you know, the way that, that James puts it, that uh, in First Peter, or Peter puts it, he says that, that, that God, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. And so if you have pride, you're fighting God. You're against God himself. And so since we've kind of laid out what pride is, maybe a somewhat of a diagnostic question that maybe would help you understand whether you have pride, I'd like to just take what Bridges does in the book. I think he has under pride, he has four uh, expressions of sinful pride. And then under selfishness, he does the same thing, four ways in which we sin uh, by being selfish. And so we'll just take each of those four categories, we'll unpack them, talk about how they relate to us. So the first, the first expression of pride for us is a moral self-righteousness. Moral self-righteousness. So this is a feeling of moral superiority with respect to other people. So uh, he, he takes a verse in the book, which I th thought was interesting to think about. He quotes where it's talking about a Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. It says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men who are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even uh, like this tax collector. And so there was this kind of self-righteousness of this uh, Pharisee who's looking at everybody else and thinking, well, thank God I'm not like any other of these people. You know, it's easy in our culture today to look at the world and begin to think, well, thank God I'm not like any of these people. Uh, particularly as you see these this gross immorality, even today where things that we know are an abomination to the Lord are celebrated in our culture. And so as you look at the world, it's easy to begin to think, Lord, I 
thank God I'm not like them. Even with this passage, uh, Bridges points out that it's, it's even tempting in the passage to go, well, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. And in the passage, you judging the Pharisee become just like him. In your heart, beginning to think, well, thank God I'm not like them. Even, even to the point, we get some sort of twisted enjoyment out of condemning and calling out the world in their sin. How terrible they are. How awful those people out there are. It's, it's an easy temptation to get into, but it is a pride of this moral self-righteousness that I'm not like them. And you forget the grace of God that saved you. And you, it can easily begin to separate you. And I, it can be a real hindrance to your sharing of the gospel. As you go up to a person and begin to speak about them of their sinfulness, it's not like as one descriptor of the gospel is one blind beggar telling another blind beggar where to find bread. It's, it's more you, the, the master of life, who's figured it all out with Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you how to do it. Now you, you need to come in humility when you get the gospel. And so for us, when we, we have this moral self-righteousness, it, it's, a, it's a danger to even our gospel witness. But there's a couple things he mentioned in the book that are helpful uh, for our hearts to deal with it. The first being to understand the grace of God in our lives. He, he quotes the phrase, not, not for the grace of God, but for the grace of God, uh, go I. Meaning that if it were not for the grace of God, I would, I would be on that path too. So this is why the gospel is not something you forget. It's not in your rearview mirror as a Christian. It's something that's very real to you every day. And in this moment, it reminds you that if it were not for God's grace, you would be on the same path of any sort of sinner in this entire world. There's, there's nothing withholding your heart except for the grace of God. And so there shouldn't be any sense of moral superiority. If you're saved by grace alone, and you know that you did no good and righteous work to be saved, you know that it was God's goodness that he reached down and brought you out of your sin, if you know that's true, you have to be willing to say that it is by the grace of God that he saved you. So that's one way to understand, I'm not going to treat everybody else as if I'm morally superior because I understand it's only by God's grace that I can even live the holy life that I live now. There's, there's another way, and this is one we need to understand that, that a sinful society and a sinful world is not just their fault. We can't look out in the world and say, the reason all this destruction's happened in the world is because of them. You are a sinful person that's contributing to this problem too. You need to understand that you're a part of a sinful society. Now, maybe you're not committing some of the sins you're looking at, but at the same time, you're not perfect either. So you have to understand that you're a part of the problem. You see, you've heard it before maybe said about churches to say that if, uh, that if you were to try to find a perfect church, um, they certainly wouldn't take you. But that's because we're not perfect people. And so you, you can't look around and say, well, everybody else has uh, got all these flaws, but me, I'm, I'm not flawed. And so we have to understand that it is simply by the grace of God that we're not uh, in just slaves to sin and living our lives completely apart from God. We have to know that. When we know that, that takes away this pride 
of moral uh, self-righteousness. But also, there's a more subtle one that sometimes happen in happens in churches, and this is a great thing to have, but it can create pride in us, is the pride of correct doctrine. The pride of correct doctrine. Now, I can separate this a little bit because I don't want to just say that anytime you want, I think it's right to hold clear and strong doctrine. So anytime you want to hold to Jesus being the Son of God, you need to do that tightly. But also within the church, there are convictions that we have that we should hold lightly. Things that we believe are right or wrong, maybe um, what church you should be a member of. There are other gospel churches. There, maybe there's something to do with an interpretation of a passage of Scripture. Maybe it has to do with end times. These are mostly, if you're familiar with the theological triage, third-tier doctrines here. But these are things that I know people that love the Lord and believe them. And, but they just believe different than I do. And in that, I need to walk around humbly and say, even though I completely believe these, I think they're true, I'm going to hold them with humility. And then I'm going to be able to say, that brother or sister in Christ that sees them, that may believe that, it's, it's okay for them as well. 1 Corinthians 8 1 speaks about this. Now concerning food offered to idols. So we're dealing with issues that aren't, you know, aren't as clear. He said food offered to idols. We know that all of us possess knowledge. But then look what he says. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. There's a possibility to have a knowledge, a belief about things that puffs you up. It builds you up in a prideful and arrogant way. And so even if, and this goes back to the grace of God in our life, now let's go back to the core beliefs. Even if you hold to Jesus Christ being the only Son of God and He is the only way to heaven, if you hold that tightly, you also need to hold it with humility. And what I mean is, again, when you go to share the gospel, this is not your great high horse lecture and soapbox moment. This is your humble moment to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. So even in our sound doctrine, we need to handle ourselves with humility. A good, a good diagnostic question is to ask, when you speak to another person, lost, maybe it's another Christian, maybe it's a person who's far from God, do you show respect for them and their ideas as you interact. Even if you don't believe any of them are true, are you showing this person respect? And are you honoring them as you interact? Or is this some preachy, arrogant, prideful, take shots at the person the whole time? That's not gonna win anybody to Christ. You need to be a humble person, not prideful. So this pride and moral self-righteousness, pride and sound doctrine, and cl closely related to sound doctrine, is uh, a pride of achievement. Achievement. We can be prideful about what we believe, but we can also be prideful about what we've done, how, how we're able to uh, achieve things in our lives. Now, I'm, I'm a person. I, I, I think hard work matters. And I want to be the person who, if it's an opportunity, I want to take it. I want to do well at it. I want to give all that I have to it. I, I like to think that um, I want to accomplish things. I want to set goals in my life. I, I enjoy all of those things uh, that are set in front of me. And as an American, that's a, an American idea that we're going to achieve things. We're going after stuff. We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. 
But at the same time, within all of that hard work picture, we have to understand, as 1 Samuel chapter 2 says, the Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. You see, in the Lord, we have to be reminded that your hard work is either blessed or not. That's why it's amazing sometimes. Have you ever seen two people give the same effort, but yet different results? Because the Lord, by his blessing, gave a, some people more abilities in certain areas. You can see it pretty quickly on an athletic field. Somebody's faster, bigger, stronger, has better hand-eye coordination, and they immediately pick things up quickly. And somebody might not be as fast, might not be as strong, but they both can give the same effort. Ultimately, it's down to how God has blessed them. And if you think, well, this is all my doing, well, who gave you the my? Who gave you the ability, the intelligence, the physical strength? Who gave that to you? Who's the one who knit you in the womb? It's God himself. So you have to understand that within the framework of your hard work and your effort, it is God himself who helps you achieve uh, the things you do in life. So you, you shouldn't have a pride in your achievement because ultimately God's the one who is at work giving that to you. So in the Lord, you need to learn to um, speak about your achievements. So whenever you say something that the Lord has done in your life, you need to say it in a context of the Lord's work. So, in other words, you say, I got a promotion, thanks be to God. You say, I graduated from this school, praise the Lord. You, you give the, I was able to, and the Lord gave me the ability. I'm thankful to the Lord because of these things. I would even say that that should flip over in how we talk about others, whether that's encouraging someone. You could say, man, I'm so thankful for how the Lord has used you in my life. You've been an encourager, uh, and I'm thankful the Lord has, has, has used you in this way. So what you've done now is affirm them and their abilities, but also affirm the fact God's the one at work. I would even say you should think about your children the same way. You're bragging on a child, a spouse, somebody in your family, and you want to speak highly of them. Even then, you want to speak about the Lord in the context of how they've worked. I'm thankful the Lord's blessed me with a child who's able to do this or to do that. Give the Lord praise as you talk about it. And then finally, I'll say this. When you set goals on the front end, you should do them within the context of the Lord's blessing. Say, I desire to do this if the Lord allows. And you know that it's up to the Lord whether he's going to bless that effort or not. But you're going to put in the effort and you're going to trust God and then you're going to give him the praise on the back end. Then, then one more thing, I'll say this. A lot of times you may, in life, receive compliments. And I'll get to this more a little bit in a minute, but the temptation is uh, a few different ways to respond humbly. One of them is to say, no, 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 that's not true, not true, uh, I'm not that great, I'm not good at whatever you're saying. I don't think that's a humble way to respond. First, you're still the focus. Second, who wants to give a person a compliment uh, if they don't receive it? Uh, if a person enjoys giving a gift or a compliment, they enjoy you receiving it well. It's no fun to give a gift for a person who doesn't take it well. And so when somebody compliments you, you should say thank you. And it's good to say, I'm thankful to the Lord. He's allowed me to do that. I, 
And maybe you don't even say it in the moment, but I think it's good by the end of the day that if you've gotten or received certain compliments or certain praise, it's good to pile all those things together, take them to the Lord and say, Lord, I've been through today and this person encouraged me, this person encouraged me, this went well. Thank you for doing this in my life. Ultimately laying all those compliments at his feet. That, that's what we should do. So it's okay if somebody says, great job, say thanks, I appreciate that so much. Just say thank you and then in your heart, direct that up to the Lord. It's good to say it. You don't always even have to say it. In your heart's what matters if you direct that and you're thankful to the Lord. So all of that is putting achievement under the Lordship of Christ and um, not pride of achievement is what we've been talking about. The, the last one is an independent spirit. This is an expression of pride and it's one uh, that probably gets missed more than any other, but it is absolutely an expression of pride. It's our ability to submit to authority. It's our ability to learn from others. Are you teachable? Now, I, there's a, a host of verses. As I was looking at this, I had a whole list of verses I pulled out, I've done in the past, talking about being a teachable person. Uh, but I'll, just, I'll give you one from Proverbs. Proverbs has a ton of them. Uh, but let me read one of them to you. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1 says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom and incline your ear to my understanding. This means that you're willing to listen to someone else, to be attentive to someone else's wisdom. So who in your life do you listen to? Do you have somebody in your life that you look to for guidance or wisdom? Are you a teachable person? Do you ask lots of questions? Or do you immediately think you know it all? I know growing up, uh, it was easy. Uh, when you're younger, you have a tendency just with age and youthful exuberance to think you know it all. It just kind of comes with uh, development of just thinking, man, I got all this figured out. And so you become very judgmental. You start walking around and going, well, you know, I see those people, they're married, I'm not married, so I, I, they really messed that up. I know exactly how to do that. And then you get married and you think, wow, uh, I had no idea what I was talking about. And then you maybe have some kids and you were, before you had kids, you thought, I'm never, you said it, I'm never, I'll never do this. All of a sudden you have kids, next thing you know, you're the first one in line to do it. Uh, you, you were given a dose of humility. But there's this pride that shows up in this lack of teachability and, and really in us a, an independent spirit. I don't need anybody else. I don't need to learn anything from anybody else. But humility comes when we're willing to learn, to be teachable. And I, I'll tell you something just uh, over the years working with interns and different uh, people that are developing ministry and developing as leaders, uh, probably the number one attribute I look for in someone is a teachable spirit. Uh, you can go a long ways with someone with a teachable spirit. If someone's not teachable, then there's very little, you pretty much are at whatever capacity you're at, but a teachable spirit will take somebody a really long ways. And so you should, should ask yourself today, do I have a mentor? Is there anybody that can speak into my life uh, today, right now, and I'm willing to listen, I'm, I'm learning for some, from someone, how often when I, when I try to do something, how many people am I asking for their wisdom? Is this a good idea? Help me see things I don't. Are, are you someone who's genuinely teachable, wanting to listen to the counsel 
of others. So that's pride. Walk through those four things. At the core level of us being pride, uh, prideful is this self-focus. We're just, we're focused on our, ourselves, and that's why this next one is so close, selfishness. Uh, they're they're uh, right there next to each other, a person who is self-focused. Now, I had somebody ask me this years ago. It was an interesting question. They said, who do you, who do you think about the most? As a person, who do you think about the most? And, you know, my first answer was absolutely, I think about Jesus the most. Of course, right? That's, that's your, I think about the Lord. I, that's my primary focus in life. Uh, but my friend told me is that it's not actually true. Uh, the person you probably think about the most is yourself. And as I thought about it, you know, probably true. When, when everybody on the planet Earth gets hungry, including myself, I'm not thinking about everybody else. I'm thinking about I'm hungry. I, I'm, I'm thinking about my needs. I'm naturally inclined to think about me. Think about me all day long. What do I look like? What do I, what do I talk like? How, how are people responding to me? What's my reputation like? Uh, am I successful today or not? The, I mean, my day is wrapped up in me. I'm thinking about uh, myself. And this particular sin is easy for us to spot in others. Man, I'm telling you, we're quick to find it. Man, he's selfish. How many times have you said it? You could probably right now in your mind, if I say, think of somebody who's selfish. Instantly, you got it. You're thinking of people in your life. You're thinking of people that are close to you. Think of people that you know. You probably think of all your family members and what way they're selfish. How they think about themselves before they do others. But you know what? You're probably slow to think about you. I don't, I don't typically like to think of myself, but well, clearly I should think about myself, right? But, but selfishness within yourself, within you hides itself. You don't, you don't see yourself in this way. Uh, you don't understand that when you're thinking all about you, it's actually a selfish activity. So let's look at the four areas in which we're selfish. Maybe that'll help unpack what this looks like. The first one is interests. We're selfish in our interests. I don't think of others' interests. We think of our own. This is uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Paul speaks about this one. He says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, so we're not just to look to my own interests, but we should look to the interests of other people. We should be thinking about what's important to them. Not just when I'm hungry, I need to be thinking about when other people are hungry, when other people have needs, when other people have interests. This shows up, an easy way to look for it is in conversation. When you're talking to someone else, how often do they talk about you? This uh, I sadly find to be a common occurrence uh, that when you're talking to someone else, they will spend a long time talking about themselves and rarely will ever ask you a question. How are you doing? How, what's going on in your life? And so in those moments, uh, you become absorbed in talking about yourself. And so th this is a good diagnostic, I think, for us to do, is think about the conversations you're having, the people you're talking to, um, you may think, well, every conversation I have, it just dies. Well, it might die, 
because they just don't ask you enough questions about yourself. Are you genuinely taking an interest in others? You have to make an effort to say, when I sit down with this person, when I have this conference, I'm going to ask questions about their interests. This is uh, you being in looking towards others' interests. Now, I know it's easy when you get excited about stuff. You want to talk about you. I'm terrible with it. I want to talk about me. But we need to be willing and in a godly way, we need to put our interests down and willing to listen to others. So how well do you listen? This is a good thing. If uh, you're not sure how well you do at this, ask those closest to you. How, what's my, what are my conversations like? Do I talk about myself a lot? Do I, do I ever ask you any questions? Do I ever take an interest in you? Uh, I think you can find out pretty quickly uh, where you land on this one. The second one is time. How we do with time. We can be selfish uh, with our uh, extra time. We, we like to control it. We like uh, to handle our time on our own. And I don't, I don't really want to be interrupted. So when I have a plan, I set forth and what I'm going to do for myself, I don't really want other people to step into that and their needs come first. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says it like this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're called to bear one another's burdens. So that means that when somebody else has a need, I need to be willing to take my time to bear your burden. You're going to have to give of your schedule, your hours, this is, uh, I think, easily seen around the house if you live with some people, or maybe it's easily seen when there's some shared duties for uh, shared responsibilities. Uh, maybe it's at work or somewhere in your life. I know that it showed up in my life when we had kids, because uh, kids are work, and there's always somebody need to be doing it. And so who's going to get up off the couch and give up their time to go take care of whatever needy thing my child has come up with uh, this minute. And it's still true to this very day. Uh, we sit down at the house, I'm tired, it's been a long day, sit down, and my kids, is somebody just, somebody's always needing something. And so in that moment, am I selfish with my time or am I selfless? Am I, am I willing to give of my time to serve others? So it's time, we've talked about uh, how, how we handle this with our interest. Are we, are we taking interest in other people? Third one here is money. Money. How generous are you with your money? First John chapter 3 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We need to be willing to give of our money, not be selfish with it. That means that uh, our money needs to be something we're generous with. As we think of others' needs, as we see needs, are we willing to give of our money? And that means that we have to be good enough with our money to where we have it to give it away. We have to carve out of our budgets and give up some things we want so that we can give some things to others. We need to be selfless with our money, not just spending it on ourselves. We need to spend it on others, encouraging others, blessing others with what the Lord has blessed you. Then the final one, and it's one you may not uh, think of very often, but I actually think it's one that's pretty practical and real, uh, is, is the idea of inconsiderateness. That you're inconsiderate of others. Now this isn't the attitude of Christ. He thought of himself 
first. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for uh, your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So this is Christ's attitude of his generous nature to us is that he's willing to think of us first. But the inconsiderate person is not thinking of others' needs. So let me, some of you guys are going to like this because uh, you might want to look at some people around you. It might be you that hear this. You might not like to hear this. But when you're always late, uh, when you, um, when you uh, don't show up for things, you're inconsiderate of another person's time. You're not thinking of them first. You're thinking of you first. We're on your schedule, not the other person's time. So, so lateness can be a form of uh, inconsiderateness. And another way this could occur is that the way you speak to others, you can be inconsiderate of their feelings. So this is um, not saying thank you. This is saying rude or harsh comments. Uh, in the book, he talks about this is where that person just says, I'm just going to unload all my thoughts. I don't care what you think. You're not considerate of how they feel or what they think. You're just going to give it to them and let them deal with the consequences. This, this, is, this is being inconsiderate. You don't care about them. You care about you, and you're just going to get it off your chest, and you're going to say it. That's being inconsiderate of others' feelings. I mean, just think even in your marriages, in your homes, with your kids, uh, it, it might be just simply that, you know, you just don't think of other people when you act. You're on the phone, you're talking loud, and you're doing it in front of everybody. You don't care. You don't care how it affects everybody else. It's all about you. So are you considerate with how you act when, you, when you're around other people? Because you are not the center of everything. I am not the center of everything. We need to be thinking of others. Now, this, this sin of selfishness and pride are dangerous because we don't see them. I've heard it said before that if a, a leader gets up in front of whatever group they lead, maybe it's a boss of a company or it's, it could be a leader of a particular ministry, or how, however it might be, somebody that everybody works under and with, and the leader gets up and they says, let me tell you something I've learned about myself as they announce what they're going to learn. And then maybe in the past week or two, they've learned this great big secret about themselves. Uh, the, they say that the secret that this leader's learned is no, uh, it's not news to anybody else in the room. Most everybody that has worked for this person or been around them, they've known this for a long time. They could see it. They've lived it. It's been clear to them. But for whatever reason, the leader is blind to it and they've just now come to see it. Uh, this may be true for you. And like I said earlier, pride and selfishness are naturally blinding. And so for pride and selfishness, you might have areas like this in your life and you just have no idea they exist. So I would recommend, I've already said it a few different ways in here, but what I would recommend you do is find someone who's close to you, friend, a, a parent, a brother, sister, somebody who knows you pretty well, two or three people, and I would ask, do you see in my life uh, the sin of pride? And then you could go through these. Do you see me being prideful in my doctrine? Um, do you see me being, do I have like a moral 
uh, superiority? Am I, am I morally prideful with you? Do you, do you, do you see in my life this, this pride of achievement? Am I always talking about what I, what I've done or this sort of lack of teachability? Am I, do I listen to people or am I stubborn? Am I, am I just going to do it my way? I don't listen to anybody. Do you see me being selfish? And you go down through the list of things we just talked about as far as selfishness. And you ask people, do you see this in my life? You might, if you watch this with somebody else, maybe when you're done, just look at them and say, what, what am I missing? What do I not see that I'm blind to? I don't have any idea. Uh, like the person who woke up and put the new pair of jeans or new shirt on the, for the day, and they're walking around, but they've still got the tags on it. And they don't know they're there. And their whole day's going along and they've got that tag hanging down or whatever it is. And you've got to be that friend for them to look over and say, hey, let me tell you, you don't see it. Everybody sees it. Everybody walking by you sees this. They all know it's there. But let me tell you, this is the area of your life that you're blind to. And finally, let me close with this. I mentioned C.S. Lewis at the beginning. And Lewis has always helped me have a clear picture of what pride is. And I mentioned earlier about, about someone who would not tear themselves down. And see... And Lewis really helped me see this because I've always thought of someone who's humble as somebody who just, just, just really kind of talks themselves down. They're, they're no good. They're not, they're not great. They're always kind of speaking down about themselves. But, that, but that's not the picture uh, that Lewis paints. And I don't believe it's the picture that the Bible paints. But this, this description from, from him I, has always been very helpful to me. He says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man that he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. He said that's, that's not what the picture of humble, humility is. He says, probably all you will think about him is that he seemed to be a cheerful, intelligent man who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. This man, he will not be thinking about himself at all. That's the key here, is that pride is about you. Humility is about others. And so all you need to do is when somebody comes up and says, great job, Man, I enjoyed that. Man, you did a great job on this project. You say thank you, and what you do is you flip that conversation around and you make it about them. A, a humble person is a person that lives for others. The Lord Jesus Christ, our ultimate example, the one who came and gave his life for us. He is the picture of that humility. And so as we live like Christ, we should be people that take a great interest in other people and forget about ourselves. Let's pray to close our time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Christ who loved us and gave up his life for us. Lord, let us be people that are humble, that live our lives for, other, for others. And Lord, may by our, our love for others, May you use that, Lord, as a testimony of the gospel and that we would be humble witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we would be truly people who represent Christ well in our humility. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.